So as part of our evangelism series, we've been inviting people to come forward and share their faith, and I'm just really excited today. Um, Kara's going to come and share her story. Um, so come on up, Kara, and um, uh, she shared in the first service. It was really powerful, so I'm just excited that you get to hear um, her story. And we're just inviting people to share how they want to from the perspective they have, whether it's their current story or the, just however they want to. And so here's Kara on um, what she wanted to share today. Good morning, everyone. Um, I am Kara. Um, you, I, even though I don't know many of you, um, you probably have seen me. I'm one of the ones hiding in the back making coffee on Sunday mornings. Um, and I'm excited to share a little bit of my story with you. Um, I'm going to attempt not to cry. Um, unfortunately, or fortunately, either way, um, I could not uh, stop myself from crying in the first service. So here we go. Um, I grew up in the church, and I remember accepting Jesus at the age of five. My family and I continued to go to church every Sunday, though it wasn't always in the same state. We moved from Colorado to Pennsylvania to Michigan. By the time we moved to Michigan, I knew a lot about the Bible, but I can't say I was truly a follower of Christ. I knew what to say, how to act, and that Jesus had saved me, but I don't think I followed him. Now, when we moved to Michigan, I had uprooted my life twice. My grandmother had passed away, and I had a hard time making friends. In Michigan, we moved into a very close-knit community, and nobody liked my family because we kicked out the people that were selling the house that my family bought. Needless to say, it was a tough transition. We started going to church, and I got involved with the youth group. Um, I made some friends but was still picked on at school for being the new kid, being overweight, and being different. I found that youth group was the one place I could truly have friends, and no one looked at me differently. This did not change the fact that I could not shake the feeling of being different. I started to withdraw into myself, and my constant excuse for everything was, I'm just tired, or I don't feel good. I felt at that time that I couldn't tell anyone what I was feeling, that I couldn't tell them I hated myself felt that I would be better off dead or if I hadn't been born. There is one friend, though, and I could let my walls down around, um, even if it was just a little bit. And she kept pointing me towards God, saying, He is here for you. He loves you, and so do I. She was the one I called when I couldn't keep going, the one I knew would show me the love of God, even when I felt I didn't deserve it or I was unworthy. Through the youth group and my friend, I was able to go on mission trips, retreats, and tons of other things. On one of the retreats, I recommitted my life to Christ and started following him. I started to live differently and act like a follower of him. Through this, I was able to make more friends and find my place. Even though I wasn't made fun of as much, I knew I was loved and that there was nothing I could do uh, to turn Jesus away. I continued to struggle with depression and anxiety. I tried keeping busy, doing everything in my power to forget how I felt, but it was to no avail. I prayed to God to help, as I felt like these feelings were a sign that I was not trusting God enough. Come to find out later, that was not the case. These feelings continued to grow and were intensified by another change in my life. As I entered high school, I found out that my youth leaders that I trusted and were one of my rocks were moving to Guatemala. The summer before they moved, we went on a mission trip to Colorado. Estes Park, to be exact. This was more of a bonding trip for the youth group um, to bring us closer together before our youth leaders left. Now, this trip did that in a way none of us hoped or ever expected. 
The day before we left, we had a day to explore the town, and my friends and I had decided we would go back to the meeting place early to relax and hang before we um, called it a night. My good friend Audra and her boyfriend didn't want to play euchre with the rest of us, so they went to sit by the stream. Next thing we knew, a rock had been pushed off the cliff face by the river and hit Audra, killing her. There was chaos, and everyone was running around. I was eventually dragged away from the event and found Audra's sister. I had to let her know something had happened to Audra, even though I couldn't say what it was. This event shaped my life, and I still cannot complete, have still not completely recovered. I still can't sing or listen to certain songs. I can't go to Estes Park without a panic attack ensuing, and I miss her every day. I know that there is a reason for it, and God has used it in more ways than I know, but it does not make it any easier. I had no option to trust God to bring me closer um, to bring me closer to Him through this. This event carried with me through college, shaped how I interacted with everyone, and multiplied my fear of losing my friends. I moved away from everything familiar and had to trust God to take care of everything that I was doing. I had to trust that He would put the right people in my life lead me on the right path, and show me his way. I was able to find that he called me to be a nurse and that he is there no matter what. I still struggle with depression and anxiety, amplified by thyroid issues, but through all this, God has shown me his love, his compassion. He has been my strength and security. I believe that he has used every bit of my story to bring me here today. For this reason, I can say I have seen God work through Central City and they have definitely helped me bring me closer to him. Though my story focused on the low points in my life, it was not all bad. Um, I have had a wonderful life, but in my experience, I have found God in the low places, and there he has shown me his love. Thanks, Kara. Um, uh, you know, we've set up uh, stories for every week during this series. We started doing this during this series, but it's something that we, um, we hope to, will continue and be a part of who we are. So if you like, would be willing to just share four to five minutes uh, your story, um, let me know. You can put it on your connect card or just email me, and we'd love to get you on the list uh, moving forward. to imagine with me that uh, you've got something that is just really, really good. You know, it's just the best thing ever. Um, you had, uh, uh, it's, it's given you uh, meaning and purpose. You've enjoyed it. It's just like this, it's this thing and it's really, really good. It could be whatever it is. Just imagine you've got this really good thing and you have a friend who's never heard of it. 
Okay, never heard of it. Completely clueless. And uh, you you know all about it because it's changed your life. And they they haven't heard. Maybe it's a shampoo they haven't heard of. I don't know. Just imagine whatever it is. But you have this really good thing, and then your friend has never heard of it, and uh, you're going to share it with them. What 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 might that look like? You know, what, are are you the type of person who's like you know invite them over to dinner? You got to tell them. Is it the type of thing you're just going to like subtly work into conversation and be like, hey, have you? kind of shampoo you use in these days? You know, like, how would you, or is this like, you've got to try this, you've got to go get it right now, here, pull out your phone, order it on Amazon. What would you do, how would you tell someone, they don't, they've never heard of this before, you're going to tell them about it for the first time. Most likely, it's going to be a relatively positive conversation. There's a good chance they're going to be like, well, okay, and not as impressed as you, maybe until they try it, you don't know. But, uh, but what would that look like? Hold on to that thought for a second. Think about that for a second. Now, I want you to imagine um, that you still have this good thing. It's great. Still, it's the most meaningful thing you've experienced. It's still, it's great. It's still a good thing. But now, imagine your friend has tried it and didn't have a good experience. Okay? In fact, imagine that maybe your friend tried this thing and it left them worse off than when they tried it. Imagine, in fact, that maybe your friend is even f- concerned that this organization behind this thing might be corrupt, engaged in things like child abuse, money, greed. Like maybe they're like, maybe the organization, like you're saying this thing's good, but pretty sure the organization is just out to get more money, buy another tr- plane for their CEO. You know, like imagine, imagine that's your friend's experience with this thing. How would you have that conversation then? my hope is that it would be different, wouldn't it? You might not say, oh, you've got to try this thing. You might say, or I might recommend you say, I'm so sorry. Can you tell me more about that? The first situation is evangelism in a perfect world. We've experienced God. It's a good thing. Someone hasn't heard it before and you share it with them. The second situation is evangelism in the world we actually live in. And in that world, it's a little trickier. In fact, I would suggest that in the world we live in, starting with something as simple as an apology might be more effective than apologetics sorry. Tell me more about that. What's been your experience? Because at that point, then you, you move towards understanding. You might, in that conversation, get to a place where you understand the way in which they experienced that was so hurtful. And, and you can understand then, maybe they can walk away understanding why it's so great and impactful for you, and that there might be a chance in that kind of conversation to share some good news. The thing we have to realize today is that in America, it's extremely unlikely for you to share with someone about Jesus who hasn't heard of Jesus before, okay? There's places in the world where you might tell someone about Jesus for the first time, never heard it before, but in America, that's not the case. Most people have heard the name of Jesus. Most people know a little bit about Christianity, and here's the thing. They already have an opinion about it. Okay, we gotta, be, we gotta just own this. We gotta name this. They already have an opinion about it. So it might be helpful to ask them what that opinion is. 
So Barna uh, did that. Um, Barna surveys people um, a vari- around a variety of things related to faith, and um, they did a nationwide survey specifically on evangelism. They released it in partnership with an organization called Alpha, and it's called Reviving Evangelism. I'm going to share some of the findings from this, uh, from this survey that they did. They interviewed Christians and asked their thoughts on evangelism. We shared some of the stats in the opening video, if you were paying attention, one of them being millennials not only are uncomfortable with evangelism, but almost half of them say it's wrong to share your faith. So that's an interesting thing to find, and there's some, uh, there's some logic behind it. Um, but uh, they also interviewed people who aren't Christians and asked them their thoughts on what it would be like to learn about someone else's faith, you know, to learn more about Christianity. So they, they, did, they interviewed an online survey of over 1,000 people, and they, they lobbed these uh, respondents into three categories. It's just helpful to understand uh, for what I'm going to share next. The, the first category is what they called lapsed Christians. So lapsed Christians are individuals who identify as Christian, but on, in the survey, they, they say it's very of little importance in their life, and they don't participate regularly in a church community. So, they, so this person is, I'm technically a Christian. I'm not an atheist. I'm not an agnostic. I'm not a, a Muslim. I'm Christian, but I'm not like, it's not that big of a deal for me. That's, that's what they, identify, they, they call lapsed Christian. The next category is what they call religious non-Christians. These would be individuals who belong to another faith. So they are a person of faith. They believe in some sort of supernatural world or whatever, they're, but they're just not Christian. So they might be Muslim, Jewish, you know, et cetera. The third category then is the, the atheist agnostic. And so these are the three kind of categories of someone who isn't a Christian. And they ask them a series of questions. And one of the things they ask, which I think is really valuable question, is what would make you more interested in learning about Christianity? What would make you more interested? And they give them a whole list of options. What would make you more interested in learning about Christianity? Well, the lapsed Christians, one of the things, they, there was a top three, um, for those who were lapsed, they said that they would be more interested in learning about Christianity if, quote, the Christians I knew were more humble and aware of their shortcomings. Hmm. Let's think about that for a second. For those who were religious but not Christian, one answer that scored in their top three that, that struck out to me, that stood out to me was, they said, I'd be more interested in learning about Christianity if Christianity had a better reputation. Interesting, interesting. For those who are atheist agnostic, one of the things they said in their top three reasons um, as it was ranked would all, was the same thing, that they'd be more interested if Christianity had a better reputation. There were other reasons given that were pretty high, um, things like uh, better evidence or personal experience, uh, a personal spiritual experience, but these are the ones that surprised me. Now, they ranked all of these, and they were, so there was obviously an option uh, in this list of options that scored the lowest in all three of these categories. Um, uh, and of the three categories, there was one option that scored the lowest in both of them. For both lapsed Christians and for atheists and agnostics, they said the least influential option for me would be, I'd be, I'm not particularly interested in learning about Christianity if the Christians I knew were more articulate about their faith. That scored the lowest. Now, that's interesting to me because if you go to a typical evangelism training, that's what you're going to learn how to do. Is that not correct? I mean, that's my experience is you're going to learn how to talk about your faith more. Like, you're going to have your elevator pitch by the end of the series done. You're going to be able to, like, tell people the Romans road or, you know, like the chick track or whatever the case may be. You're going to be more articulate about your faith. And the people in the world are like, here's the thing. I'm not, that's not going to really, that's not really what I'm interested in. If you were just a little bit more humble, then I'd be interested in the conversation. 
they asked another question. They said, um, um, what are some of the qualities you'd want in someone to just talk about faith? So not necessarily about Christianity, but just talk about faith. What qualities would you want in somebody? 66% of the people said that they would want someone who listens without judgment. And 50% said that they would want someone, and this one was really interesting, they would want someone who listens without forcing a conclusion, which uh, I've met many Christians who would have a real hard time with that. I want to suggest to you today that I, I'm not, I don't think our message has changed. We've changed it occasionally, but really the heart of our message, we're talking about a message about how God loves us, this unmerited grace, that, that it's available to all people anywhere, everywhere. I mean, this message of God's love of Jesus, that hasn't changed. And I would even suggest that the strategy around evangelism, if we're going back to the Bible, it doesn't necessarily have to change that much either. We're going to spend some time looking at Philip the Evangelist um, today, and there's some things that you're going to learn, I think, some really great strategies around what it means to share your faith with people who aren't a part of a church community. And so I don't think the strategy needs to change, but here's what I do think absolutely 100% needs to change, our posture and our tone. We've got to embrace humility. And, and, and honestly, if more Christians learn how to apologize for how we have gotten it wrong in the past, that would go a long way. Apology more than apologetics. And that's great news, because here's the thing. If, you, if apologetics was the basis of how we share our faith, uh, that we'd have to start offering a lot of classes and assigned a lot of books for you to read. If that, if that was absolutely 100% necessary, you had to have it all figured out and answer every you know, complicated question. That would be a lot of learning for you. But if apology, just like starting from this place of humility and say, I'm so sorry for your experience, tell me more, can I love you right where you're at? If that's where we start, you can do that today. You know, we could stop right here. Let's just go home. Go find someone to love right where we're at. So keep that in mind. We're going to spend some time. We're going to look at this strategy in the New Testament around evangelism. But keep in mind, what is our posture? What is the tone in which we do it out of? So if you have your Bible with you, you can pull it out. We're going to be in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 8. Acts is a collection of stories from the early church. We're going to spend time in one of those stories around this guy by the name of Philip. He's known for being an evangelist. Interestingly enough, if you've been with us for a while, exactly one year ago, I preached on this passage, so it's just time to give it another review. Um, but it's a story about Philip the Evangelist. We find out much later in Acts, he gains this title, Philip the Evangelist. Here, he's not given that title, but here's where he's actually sort of growing into this role as an evangelist. So Acts chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 26. And before we do, uh, will you pray with me? God, as we open up your word, as we read it and reflect, as your Holy Spirit challenges us, allow us to approach this with humility. Lord, you say that you do not desire sacrifices, but a broken and contrite heart. So come and break us, that we might be remade. Help us, Lord, whatever those things in our life that are distracting us, that are pulling us apart, that are weighing down on us, help us just to lay those aside. Help us to come to you, weary and worn, and take on your yoke. Help us to rest in you. In your name we pray. Amen. Acts eight twenty six says this. Now, angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. I want to pause there for a second and name something that's essential. This is Philip. Philip's the evangelist. 
This is his early years of ministry. The church was just born. Um, and it starts, this ministry starts, Philip the evangelist, not with Philip, but with God. It's this calling. It's this idea that the Spirit, a messenger from the Lord, told him to head in a particular direction. So here's the first lesson and the most important lesson when it comes to evangelism or really any work in the church. The work itself is not ours. It is God's. We do and we go and we serve and we love and we talk, but God is the one who's actually doing the work. This is rooted in a very sincere assumption we have to come to. It's the assumption of faith that God is actually doing something. If you can't, if you, that's where we have to start with. If you're at a place where I'm like, I'm not sure God's doing something, evangelism is probably not even in the realm of possibility right now because it's just going to feel, it's not going to be right. But if you're in the place where you're like, no, God's actually doing something. God actually wants to use me. God's actually working in subtle ways in other people's lives. And I don't know what those ways are, but I want to participate in bringing them into who God created them to be. And God is actually at work. And I just want to play my part in that. If that's, that's where we start. And so the Spirit says, Philip, I'm doing something with you and I'm doing something with someone you haven't met yet. And I've been working in this person's life for a while in a lot of different subtle ways, and I want you to participate. So this is how Paul explains it in, in Corinthians. He says, he says it like this. He says, I planted the seed. Apollos uh, um, watered it. This is one of his colleagues in ministry. But God is making it grow. That's what, that's what evangelism is. Like, you can plant and you can water, but I'm, I'm speaking from someone from a lot of experience. You can plant and water and things still not grow. Okay? Um, you just can't. And maybe because you watered them wrong or planted them wrong, I don't know. But I've planted many things and watered them, and they haven't grown. So that's the idea is that we can do these, we can participate in the work, but there's this, um, there's this magic formula, and it's God. God is at work in a very subtle way. So uh, what I want to suggest is that evangelism does not equal conversion. These are not the same thing. Evangelism is an invitation. It's a, it's a faithfulness to share something with someone, to build a relationship, to speak into their life, to ask questions. Evangelism is this, you're just participating. But if God wants to take someone and do a 180 in their life, bring healing, transformation, that's God. That's not us. So Philip starts this evangelism thing right. He, he lets God take the lead. And so God sends him, and he says, uh, it says in, this, in the passage, he started out, which is the next step. So lesson one, this is God's thing. This is God's thing. This isn't ours. We don't have to carry the weight for it. We're not ultimately responsible. We can relax. God is up to something. We just get to participate. That's lesson one. Lesson two is simply when God nudges us, we just have to take the first step. Just, you know, start out. In fact, my prayer for this series is that everyone here, everyone in the first service and the services to come, that you can take one step in the direction of sharing your faith with someone outside the church. Just once, if we can just all take one step in that direction towards sharing your faith in some way with someone outside the church, that'd be a win. So let's continue picking up verse 27. It says this. On his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And Philip ran to the chariot. So you see a similar formula. The spirit nudged him, led him, and Philip obeyed. Now this fellow traveler, he was on his way back from, uh, he had come from an African country, Ethiopia, and to Jerusalem. 
He was going to Jerusalem to worship. He had gone to Jerusalem to worship, um, maybe because he was a Jew or a Jewish convert or maybe just a spiritual seeker who wanted to learn more about Judaism. But he had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way back, he, he stops and he's found by Philip reading a copy of Isaiah, one of the books of the Old Testament. And the Spirit told Philip to go to him. So the Spirit talked. Philip listened. But this is something different. Once Philip, he set out on the journey. Once he was let in on the secret, like, here's the person I want you to go talk to, he ran. It says he ran. So he saw an opportunity. Once the opportunity became aware, like he became aware of this opportunity, he went for it. Now, this road, this desert road, it was not a very popular road. Um, It was the desert road for a reason. This is in the middle of nowhere. This caravan happened to be passing through, and so there happened to be people there, but it could have just been as easy for Philip to go down the desert road and not see anyone. So here's the thing. If if evangelism is merely going to be marketing strategy, then you're going to go where the most people are. But if it's going to be spirit-led, you might end up in a desert road, and you're like, what is going on here? Why am I even here? Why am I even... I'm not even going to run into someone. But as soon as he sees the person... And God says, I want you to go stand awkwardly close to this person. Big part of evangelism is just being awkwardly close to people, by the way. It's the hardest part. Like, oh, I'm just going to go, okay, see if something, conversation sparks up here. He runs to that occasion. So here we are. This is where we're at. Number one, it's, this is God's thing. God leads. We just, we just follow. Uh, number two, we got to take that first step. We head out. We get out of the house. We go in a particular direction. We go somewhere. We're, we're, we're actively engaging in this. Step three, when the opportunity presents itself, we take it. We run it. We run towards it. Now, Philip had no idea um, when he ran, whether there would be a chance for conversation, but look what happens in verse 30. So he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. And so he asked him, do you understand what you were reading? Philip asked. What's interesting is this is where evangelism, this is what we think of when we think of evangelism. He's actually talking to someone. Up to this point, it's just between him and the Spirit. He's just following God's leading. Now he's actually talking to someone, and he starts out with what? A question. You know, what's interesting, he doesn't say, hey, let me explain that to you. No, he asks a question, even kind of still a fairly bold question, probably more bold than I would, um, uh, but he asks a question. And what an opportunity. This guy is already reading a book from the Old Testament. So Philip, he sees the opportunity. He asks the question as a way to lean into the conversation. This is probably the hardest part of evangelism, talking to someone, especially if you don't have a relationship with them already, and you want to you just follow the Lord's leading in a unique way. This is probably the hardest part, is just looking for that opportunity to lean into a conversation. And here's the thing that I've found. Opportunities to have conversation, even with strangers, is 100% possible if you're looking for it. So number one, this is God's thing. Two, we take the first step. We start out. Three, we're looking for an opportunity. And four, we lean into the conversation. When opportunity presents itself, we lean into it, and we risk talking to someone. So if, but here's the thing that I would say. I've started going out. I'm going to share some stories later. started going out and trying to uh, practice this over the last couple of months. And uh, here's what I would say. I, um, when I go out with the intention of sharing my faith, I 100% of the time don't talk to someone unless there's an opportunity. I am not the kind of guy that talks to strangers without the opportunity. I am 100% of the time looking for an on-ramp for conversation. And if I don't see it, I don't even beat myself up about it. I just move on. And that's me, partly because I'm an introvert, partly because, you know, whatever. But I'm 100% looking for opportunity. But the thing that I've found is those opportunities present themselves. 
And so the eunuch responds in the best way possible, verse 31. He says, how can I, he said, unless someone explains me. So he says, do you understand what you're reading? He says, how can I unless someone explains it to me? This is, um, you know, Philip is known for being an evangelist, but like, it's basically handed to him, isn't it? Like, how easy is this? He stumbles on somebody who's already reading the Bible. The guy's like, please explain it to me. Here's the thing. Philip didn't become an evangelist because he forced someone to listen to a five-minute gospel presentation. He became an evangelist because he listened to God. He stayed alert. He, he, and when an opportunity presented himself, he just walked into it. Not even that awkwardly. As 1 Peter 3.15 says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But, this goes back to the beginning surveys, doesn't it? Do this with gentleness and respect. I'm going to challenge you to try this. For the rest of the summer, into the fall, stay alert enough, just pay attention to the world around you, enough that when an opportunity comes to talk about some element of your faith, to ask a question, to talk about whether you go to church. I'm, I'm, not, this isn't a high, I'm not asking you to do a high-pressure sale. Just be alert enough that when the door opens to talk about some element of your faith or some element of your doubts, <laughs> maybe your own struggles with the church, you can talk about that too. This, it's all good. Just alert enough that when the opportunity comes, look for them. And if, I, I would suggest to you that you're going to have more opportunities when you're looking for it than you can possibly imagine. I've, I've seen this in my own life when I'm just... I'm hungry for it, I want it, I'm looking for it, I'm praying for it. They just come up. And they're not profound, and they don't always, they don't, they've so far not usually resulted in grand conversions of people on the spot, but it steps in the right direction. And of course, do that with gentleness and respect, humility. So the eunuch is seeking for answers, and Philip had the chance to give them to him. So right here in the middle of nowhere, Philip explains to him what it actually means to follow Jesus, verse 35. He says, starting with that passage, Philip proclaimed the good news about Jesus to him. In two weeks, we're going to spend an entire sermon on, in this series on just the gospel basics. What would Philip have explained to this person? Had that, if that opportunity falls in your lap where you're able to explain to someone what this good news is, what would you say to them? We're going to spend a whole sermon. We're just going to talk about this good news. We're going to talk about this grace, this unmerited favor, this love of God for, for all humanity. We're going to talk about this good news. We're going to spend a whole week for it. For now, um, he shares it with them, and he moves on. Verse 36. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. He asked Philip, what must I, what stands in my way of being baptized? This question from the Ethiopian eunuch was a weighted question. Have you noticed that we haven't been given his name yet, this Ethiopian eunuch? Always referred to as the Ethiopian or always referred to as the eunuch on purpose. One, he's Ethiopian, so he's, 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 he's a foreigner, immigrant, traveler, outsider to Jerusalem and Israel, outsider to the people of faith most likely, maybe a Jew, maybe not, maybe a convert, maybe not, maybe just a seeker. And he's a eunuch. He's a gender minority. 
either because he was born that way or he was made that way because he's working in the courts of the queen. And what you need to know is that he had just gone to Jerusalem to worship. It specifically says he had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he had gone to Jerusalem to worship, but here's the thing. And you would know this, um, if you understand, you know, like if you were living in that culture, you would, you would pick up on it. it. They wouldn't have to say it. He, he didn't worship in Jerusalem. He wasn't allowed in the temple. Not as a gender minority, not according to the Old Testament. Probably not even as an Ethiopian. So he goes to Jerusalem to worship, but then he's basically rejected. Maybe he knew that showing up there. Maybe he didn't. I don't know. But he's leaving now Jerusalem, and he's still interested. He's still engaged. He's still reading. Someone comes up to him. They explain it to him. They explain this new thing called Jesus, which is like Judaism, but even like better because like you can be a part of it. And then he asks the question, what stands in the way of me being baptized? What he's really asking is, hey, do you need the elders back in Jerusalem to vote on this? Because you know I am a eunuch. a weighted question. When we engage inviting people to follow Jesus, we're inviting them into community. Don't you dare invite someone to follow Jesus who you don't want to be in community with. You're like, I don't know. I better check with my people first. You might not be welcome. People ask too. They ask in a lot of of different ways. Am I, would I be welcome in your church? And sometimes they don't come out and say it like that. Sometimes they just They ask it in other ways, but that's the question they're asking. And so let me just answer it for you. Yes, that's the correct answer. What what stands in the way of me being baptized? Baptism was an introduction to the family of God. What stands in the way of me being a part of the family of God? Nothing. We can do it right here. Let's creek. Doesn't have to be in Jerusalem. Don't got to get, you know, Peter to sign off on it. No, right here. There's no class. You just, like, you can be a part of God's family right now. That's what happens. And this is how the story ends then because of it. When they came up, out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. I don't know. I always imagine that sort of like, just like he disappeared, but he probably just like, no, I got to get going. Um, but he, the Spirit led him somewhere else, and the eunuch did not see him again. So now, you know, the eunuch's going on to Ethiopia, but went on his way rejoicing. The eunuch went on his way rejoicing. He was better off because of his encounter with Philip. And can I just say, when we share our faith, And when we share this message of love, shouldn't we also be doing it in love? Shouldn't people be walking away better than when? You can be Philip to someone. With this passage in mind, I uh, earlier this summer decided to commit a chunk of my time uh, engaging in evangelism like this. Now, you know, if you were here last week or if you know me at all, this is not something that's a particularly strong area of my life. I shared, I shared a very vulnerable story last week around some of the baggage I have with evangelism. I have a lot of it. Um, I'm not an expert. It would have been wise for me to practice this this year and preach the sermon series next year. That's how much baggage I have around it. But here we are, friends. So uh, my appreciation for your grace. Um, but uh, I wanted to commit some time to practice what I would eventually be preaching. You know, I, I hear that's a good thing. My friend Max had a similar uh, desire, specifically around OSU and the campus there. And so we started going out. I went out with him. I didn't want to go out by myself. Um, and uh, we went on campus at OSU to do this kind of thing. We, would, we called it prayer walking. So we're just walking through campus praying. And I'm really, you know, I'm really intentionally like, I'm on board now. I'm like, I've worked through some of my stuff. I want God to show up. I'm going to share my faith. It's going to be great. I, I believe God is at live and work in this world. Like, I do. I honestly believe that. And so I'm like, I show up on campus. I'm expecting this opportunity to come along. And uh, the first time we go out, don't talk to anyone. No opportunities. 
In fact, we uh, left campus. I was a little discouraged. I, um, I had planned it so I leave campus, and I drove up to UA to get my son Finn out of childcare, and then we came back home. And I, I had decided that night that uh, this local community garden had, was doing uh, selling produce, so I figured I'd stop by this place and get some produce on the way home. I'm feeling a little discouraged. But we stop, and I'm going to get some lettuce for dinner, and... Uh, I go in, and I, there was someone working at the produce place that I, I had met before. And then it, because I'm hungry for it, I'm looking for it, I'm alert. You know, like, it's very much on my mind. I'm like, oh, this person is a professor at OSU. So I just start talking to her. I'm like, you know, maybe, they, maybe, they, maybe I'm going to talk to someone not on campus, maybe right here. She goes on. I didn't even pull this out of her. This was just one of those opportunities that just kind of fell on my lap. She said, hey, you know that worship in the park thing? You, your church did? I was totally going to go to that, but I'm really, like, uncomfortable going to church, and I'm not sure how I feel about church, and so I didn't go, but I kind of wanted to. And I was like, what is going on here? So we talked. I said, you should totally come. You'd be totally welcome. We'd love to have you. Um, I followed up with her in an email later, asked if we could, you know, our families could get together. But at the same time, my, Finn had run off and played in this fenced-in area, and... Um, this volunteer, this younger volunteer, went and played with him. And I, realized, I found out in the conversation that that person was OSU student. I was like, I got done with the one girl. I was like, okay, I'm going to go talk to this person hanging out with my son. And so we did. The next time um, that uh, we went out on campus, uh, I felt this stir in me to um, stop at a, a local coffee shop on campus. It was a campus-run coffee shop. I didn't know why. I just felt like it was a nudge, and I'm, I'm experimenting. I don't, I've never done this type of thing before, so I'm just experimenting. I go into this uh, uh, coffee shop, and now the campus of this season, you know, it's summer, so this is basically a desert road. I mean, there's not a lot of people out. And uh, in this coffee shop, there wasn't a lot of people out either. But we walk in, and Max is with me, and Max works on campus, and he happened to know all the people behind the bar. So he, he, told, uh, he told them that, that I was there as pastor, and we talked a little bit, and then, you know, we ordered drinks, and we're leaving, and um, we walk away, and uh, the guy was like, no, 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 they're, 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 you know, you can just have them. Now, I don't know how that fits into evangelism, but I felt like getting free coffee was like a sign from God that I'm doing something right, don't you think? In fact, another time I was prayer walking in, in Grandview with Garrett, we walk, we don't see any opportunities, you know, we're, there's nothing that pops up, but we made ourselves available to, to the Holy Spirit, we need to do, do that again, I'm putting you on the spot, let's do it again. And we go, but we end up back at the theater where we used to meet as a church, and we used to rent this space, and the manager's there, and um, we, I, get, I go over to him, I say hi, we get into this long conversation, he's a fascinating guy to talk to, especially if you like conspiracy theories theories or, or beer. And uh, great guy to talk to. So we sit down, we order drinks, we're, we're chatting, we get to leave, we go to pay. And he's like, no, 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 totally. It's, it's, it's on me. And I'm like, once again, I don't know how this fits into evangelism. I, there was no conversion experience, but free drinks. Um, I feel like it was a sign from God that we're doing something right. And so if you want free drinks, come with me on a prayer walk. You're welcome to, I don't know. I can't guarantee it, but it's happened twice, friends. I don't know. Good news. Um, another time that we, uh, it was really a desert road experience. We, we were on campus. We didn't have any opportunity. We didn't, I didn't, I'm still kind of feeling this out, but we, we sit down in the shade. We regroup after walking around campus. And I was like, you know what? I think we should go to Waffle House. I'm not a Waffle House guy. I've never been to Waffle House. I'm not a guy that eats at Waffle House. I don't even know why anyone would eat at Waffle House. But I'm like, let's go to Waffle House. We go to Waffle House. But here's the thing. No one's in Waffle House at three o'clock in the afternoon. It's just not when college students eat waffles. You did a different three o'clock. Not in the afternoon. There's one person in there, the guy working. So we sit at the counter, and I'm just like, I, 
I'm hungry for this, you know? So I, I try to spark up a conversation. I, I, I say something like, you know, hey, I'm assuming, you know, most of your students, they, they come, you know, probably late at night. Do you, do you have to deal with a lot of drunk students? And he said, well, actually, most of my problems come from dealing with, uh, with homeless people. And I was like, ding, 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 because I don't know if you know this, but I, we do a lot of work in homeless outreach. I can talk all day about homeless stuff. So I'm like, let's talk about that. We have a 30-minute conversation around homelessness. And what started out is he kind of like he was sharing like this cold place. He's talking about restraining orders he had to do. By the end of the conversation, his heart's kind of melting a little bit. And he's talking about how he actually, you know, he wouldn't admit this at the beginning of the conversation, but he actually worries about the homeless and he wishes, you know, you know, this type of thing. Now, I'm ready to take this up the notch. I'm still experimenting. I'm still learning. So I'm like, I'm going to make this spiritual. So I say at the end of the conversation, something kind of spiritual. I'm just going to take it one step further. And I say, well, we're out. We're you know, part of a campus ministry. We're, we're out praying over the campus. Is there anything we can pray for you? Now, I've heard when you ask that to somebody, even sometimes a stranger, they'll open up. I've heard stories. I know this guy who, who asks it of people all the time, which is not my personality. This type of thing stresses me out, but he does it all the time, and God uses it in profound ways. But I did it this one time, and you know what? He did. He opened up immediately. He shared this really vulnerable, personal, difficult story that was happening in his life, and, you know, I'm not as bold as to just pray for him on the spot. I might get there someday. But, you know, he shared it, and I said, I'm going to 100% pray for you. Just the other day, after the next time we went out, this wasn't the Holy Spirit. Uh, I just wanted donuts. So we went to a donut shop after prayer walking. You guys are thinking, free coffee, free beer, and donuts. Like, why are you not doing this with me already, right? You're welcome. Fill out the Connect card, email me. We'll go out. Neighborhood of your choice, and it'll probably involve drinks or food. We go to this donut shop. Now, it's a donut shop on campus. There's this guy there. Uh, I've been there a couple of times. He's the best part of the shop. He's so much fun. There's something about him. He's just funny. He's alive. He's, I just absolutely love. I told Max, who was with me, this, is, this guy is why I come here. This guy is so great. Um, and if you've been to this donut shop, you know who I'm talking about, I bet. Well, just yesterday, we were, in, in our, we were near our house. Me and Alyssa were driving. Me and Alyssa had been to this donut shop together, experienced the wonderful this wonderful thing, this guy there. And I was like, there's this guy standing at the bus stop. And I said, I think that's the guy from the donut shop. And she says, really? And I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's the guy from the donut shop. She's like, you want me to stop? And I'm like, no, that's awkward. But I'm also preaching this sermon the next day. So, yes. And we pull up. Now, we live in Franklinton. Pulling up to someone means something in that neighborhood. And if you don't know what it is, it's not a good thing. And so this has got to be terrifying for him. But we pull up, and we roll down the window, and I was like, hey, do you, are you the guy that works at that donut shop? And he's like, yeah, 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 that's me. That's how he talks. He's so great. And uh, the bus pulled up behind us. I, I, I introduced myself. He introduced himself. He lives in the neighborhood. He lives a couple blocks from me. Now, I don't know. I don't know if any dramatic, none of these are dramatic stories. I don't know what God's going to do with any of this stuff. But here's what I do know. I do know that God's work in the world. I do know that God wants to work in my life. And I do know that, if, that I personally have some baggage around this kind of stuff. And I, just, I do know that these are small steps in the right direction. And that's what we want to do. That's what I invite you to do in this series. We're not going to become this church that you know, goes out onto the beach and 
passes out tracts. That's just never going to be who we are. But we can take small steps to just engaging the Holy Spirit and engaging our neighbor in a loving and kind way without an agenda and just do our best to meet new people and love them in the name of Jesus. That is nothing wrong with that. So here's what I want to do. Last week, we talked about how we want to relieve the pressure of evangelism. And today, I want to put some of that pressure back on. So I'm wrestling with this. I, I don't want you to freak out about evangelism, but I, you know, we should still do it. Okay, so I'm thinking, how do I encourage you to do this, challenge you to do it, but it still be fun? Well, this is a problem that many companies, you know, have wrestled with. And uh, one of the, you know, there's lots of ways you can make something fun. And one of the ways I've experienced recently, so this is where I got this idea, was the, the Columbus Library is doing the summer reading challenge. And they make it fun. They've got this chart, and it's for Finn. And, you know, you count the number of minutes you're reading, and at the end you win awards, you know, like you win prizes, like we get a Chipotle gift card. It's a cool thing, right? And it's fun, and it's colorful, and you hang it on our fridge, and it's a great thing. So for evangelism, to be a little bit more fun, we've copied it entirely. Okay? So I have copies of this. Mari, would you pass those out? We, we have copies of this, and uh, here's the best part about it. It's, um, it looks like a kid's handout. It's not for your kids. They can do it too, but it's totally for you adults in the room. It looks like a kid's handout because this cannot be threatening. This, there's nothing threatening about this. It's too colorful. It's too much fun. Um, and so this is the challenge uh, for our summer just as a way to make this a little bit more fun. Each of these things on this sheet are just really simple steps towards evangelism. Now, here's the secret. If you haven't picked up on this yet, here's the secret. This becomes evangelism when two things happen. One, you're operating out of the assumption that God is at work and you're trusting the the Holy Spirit's leading, okay? And two, you're intentionally engaging people who aren't a part of your faith community. So in other words, asking if you can pray for someone, if you do that at your small group with someone in your community, that's a great thing to do, but that's not evangelism. But if you ask if you can pray for someone in your workplace and you're trusting because the opportunity presents itself and it just makes sense and you're like, wow, you know, I'll, even just telling them that you're going to pray for them, that is a form of sharing your faith with someone who you might not know otherwise. So here's what they are, very simple. The first one is, listen, uh, starting right where we started today, ask someone about their faith journey. In fact, most people who aren't a part of a church we're a part of a church at one time, and they left for a reason. It's a great way to start the conversation. Ask them, have you ever been a part of a church? What was that like? Have that conversation. Most likely, they're going to then ask what your experience is. The second one is generosity. Engage in an act of kindness. If there's someone who's outside of a faith community that you just love, if they, if they knew the joy and the, and the beauty of what it means to be a part of a community, um, and uh, you're led to do something nice for them. There's this guy in my life. He does so much uh, stuff in the city of Columbus. He does so much community engagement. I don't think he's a Christian. He's certainly not a part of a church. And he's just getting close to burnout. And I just really felt compelled to do something generous for him, like, you know, just a thank you card for the work that he does, and maybe a gift card to, like, you know, just, like, to a place where he could take his wife out and they could just, because he's tired. Well, here's my challenge for you. If that, if that idea pops up in your mind, take whatever it is you would do and double it. That's the challenge I'm giving myself. That's the challenge I'm giving you. You're like, hey, I want to be generous to this person. Whatever it be, you're like, I want to double it. Whatever it is, be generous. Reach, uh, invite someone to church, self-explanatory. Pray, ask if you can pray for someone, um, uh, self-explanatory. Hospitality, invite someone into your home. We're going to talk about the art of neighboring and what it means to use hospitality to build relationships. And then the last one, proclaim. Uh, share with someone what faith means to you. So here's what I'm inviting you into is just really kind of engage these. I'm going to invite the band to come up as they get ready for our closing song. And I want to challenge you to take this home, 
put it on your, you know, put it on your fridge. Uh, let it be fun. Uh, now, you're, you're wondering, what's the prize, right? Here's what it is. This, we, we have a prize. If you complete this, you'll be entered into a drawing. This is the real thing. $200 to hold a cookout, a backyard party, block party, whatever you want to do, but some sort of event at your house or someone else's house or your small group's house, you can invite people to it. You get through all of these things, you'll be ready for that. You'll want that. And so we're going to do that, and I know of at least one person uh, who's already pretty set on getting it, so the challenge is out there. Um, we'll be talking about this more and more in the weeks to come, but we just encourage you to take this as a fun way to start making small steps towards sharing your faith with other people. So with that, will you pray with me? God, we give you thanks for your good news, for the grace that you give us. Help us, Lord, to enter into conversations with people um, in humility and, and with a sense of love. Um, Lord, that ultimately sharing our faith with people should be an act of love. Now, we don't have an agenda. We're not trying to convince anyone. We just are trying to be faithful. We're just trying to be honest about who we are, sharing our faith and even our doubts. Our, 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 our joy and also our sorrow with, with people outside of our community. Help us to do that. In your name we pray.